Hello, and welcome back to MLS Bench Podcast. Uh, Joey is off this week, so this is Matt. I'll be driving the bus, and then riding along with me, I've got Andres. Andres, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. It's a, it's a fun time of year. We're recording on on Thursday, so it's it's uh, opening day in, in Major League Baseball, and we, we definitely talk, uh, obviously, much more Major League Soccer rather than baseball, but I don't know, man. Something about... Something about you know spring and and the beginning of baseball season just kind of feels like summer's coming around. Uh, maybe it's the nostalgia in me, but it just feels it just feels right. Uh, warmer yeah. weather on the way, and and hope springs eternal. Yeah, and just an opportunity to get outside has been very very much needed as far as uh, how it's been in Nebraska because we are finally not freezing in here, which is which is great. But to your point, we got. All kinds of soccer to talk about. We did want to note first off and that we are coming off the international break and, and CONCACAF had quite a bit going on. There were obviously a ton of players across Major League Soccer that were involved in Nation Leagues games, uh, involved in Euro qualifiers. But we wanted to touch kind of a little bit to see, especially Canada and the United States, since those are Major League Soccer countries. Uh, Canada coming off of two wins in their window against Curaçao and Honduras. Uh, the U.S. taking a trip down to Granada and kind of giving them the business with a 7-1 victory and then coming home to, to seal a slightly more contentious 1-0 win over El Salvador. Uh, and then Mexico to our south just had a maybe slightly less... Uh, reinforcing window with a, a draw at the Azteca to Jamaica, if I'm remembering that right. Does that sound right to you, Andres? Uh, yeah, 2-2 two, two Yeah. It, it was definitely an interesting window, but we are through now to our four Gold Cup teams. It'll be the United States and Mexico re-lighten re, uh, that, that rivalry, and then Canada playing against Panama to go ahead and bring in the other side for, for the Gold Cup. Um, was there anything that you saw in this international window that you really wanted to touch on? I mean, not a ton. I, I in terms of Nations League, I think I, I get the idea. I think it's a good one. Um, I like uh, that the you know, especially the mid and smaller teams in the region have more competitive matches. Helps the region be a little stronger. Helps those teams, uh, you know, get a, get more of a chance to to play together. Um, but I, I find it difficult myself personally to get too far too far high on you know nations league group games that said uh you know can't deny that they looked they being the u.s looked pretty good on friday uh against granada i think that's the first seven nothing victory in the history of the u.s if i remember right um you know i don't know how long anthony hudson's gonna be the coach there uh but meanwhile the guys looked like they were having fun. They they looked, you know, fluid. Uh, they put away the chances that they had, and and that's all you can really ask for at this point in the in the window and in the cycle, which really is, you know, getting started. Looking forward to twenty twenty six. So, not a ton. Uh, I don't think you know huge takeaways, but overall, you'd rather them be playing well than not. Uh, and then June will be a, a better test. Absolutely. And uh, I apologize, I misspoke. Uh, this was qualifying for the Gold Cup, but it actually, those four, or, uh, four teams getting through, that is the Nations League final. I apologize for my mistake on that. Um, and yeah, I, the only other thing that I kind of wanted to note out of this international break in CONCACAF was Hugo Perez is a really good manager. I, I just, every time that the U.S. has had to play uh, El Salvador, I am just reminded again and again how much I think a lot of major league soccer teams could really benefit from him ha- or him being at the helm. Uh, it just seems like he has an opportunity to find an instance where he's at a talent deficit, but still consistently playing big teams tough. And that's, it's always just, uh, they just give me a, a little bit more of a scare than I'd, I'd like to remember, you know, going back to the one, one draw in El Salvador as well. So lots to, to like about, the international window, lots of soccer going on, but I think that we need to go ahead and dive into 
a very, very full match week, uh, unlike many leagues across the, the world that took a break uh, and dig into Major League Soccer. And I, I think that we kind of have to start here in the heartland and take a trip down to St. Louis. St. Louis, the first expansion side in history to come out and get five wins in a row. And they're doing it consistently. I just, I, what's going to stop this team, Andres? What's, what is going on that's making them so good? Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about them uh, in the last few weeks as this momentum has been building uh, the first, you know, week or so, week or two weeks. We talked a little bit about, you know, some fortuitous bounces, some, some back pass, which, by the way, there was another, another, back, back, another back pass <laughs> for a goal this week. Uh, but even at that point, they were already, they were already up to nothing. Um, and I think... You've heard it, uh, the refrain across the league. Uh, they just have a, a real clear identity um, about how they want to play. I I don't know that we were wrong um, in some of the in some of the doubtfulness that there was about the roster. Uh, the the MLS guys uh, that that are there, the you know the the veteran MLS guys, the Tim Parkers, uh, Jake Nerwinskis. Uh, these are guys that were veterans, but they weren't necessarily stalwarts of good defenses recently. You know, mm. Houston hasn't been very good the last few years. Uh, Vancouver was, you know, middle of the pack. Uh, guys like Jared Stroud, uh, who's been playing very, very well, wasn't seeing the field with Austin. So, you know, there's guys that maybe had something to prove, uh, but didn't come in with a ton of hype. And then we just didn't know about Jao Klaus. Or, or Lovin, um, and typically teams with DP goalkeepers uh, don't do very well in this league. Um, and and Robin Berkey is that. So uh, they're defying what you know most of the pundits uh, thought thought about uh, preseason, and they're doing it with a clear identity of when they want to press, uh, playing more with the ball than I think uh, people were expecting to. Um, and you know, some killer set piece, uh, set pieces. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a little bit of everything for them. Um, and going to Salt Lake, even though Salt Lake's not, not really playing very great right now, but that's always a tough place to, to get a win. Usually they, they play pretty well at home and, you know, to go in there and really dominate the second half the way that they did and come away for nothing, um, could have been even more, uh, really speaks volumes and I think made a big statement. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you, uh, I love two of the things you really noted. Um, the riot is, or the formerly riot was always a tough place to play for against everyone. The fans are always going for it. It's at altitude. Um, and they just really, really kind of have built that place up to be a fortress. But um, yeah, they, they're really, or St. Louis rather is just really, really, not paying attention to any of that pressure that's that's been put on them as as now really like the flagship or flagship um, expansion side that we've ever or the best we've ever seen. Uh, I love some of the pieces that they brought in. I I did not expect this to be uh, or this to come out of Lovin. I really think that either he or Klaus are going to end up potentially as MVP finalists at this rate. Um, there's still so much season ahead of us, but uh, it's a lot to, to like. And then the other thing that you noted, they are absolutely brutal on set pieces. Just so many big bodies. And I think it was Jasper Loffelsen who just completely lost track of, I believe, Klaus for the second goal, if I remember correctly. Just a lot of really, really well-designed stuff that is very obviously coming from that coaching staff. It's coming from having taken the time to develop that understanding between the players. Um, and, I, you know, we, this is a team that was in MLS Next Pro last season, but was a full Major League Soccer team budget. And I think that we're starting to see some of that pay off. Uh, there's there's just a lot to like here, and I yeah, the the step forward that so many of their players have taken, I think, just really really speaks to the talent identification as well. That is just 
Really, really impressive. They've got a, an interesting match. Two of the unbeaten sides are going up against each other uh, in St. Louis and many in Minnesota. Um, and the question is going to be, does the ball ever leave the center spot? Because neither of these teams like to play with the ball this season. So that's going to be a new challenge for St. Louis to face. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point. And I think it's one of the tactical... Uh, things to look forward to from for match day six coming coming up is Minnesota without Reynoso is very clearly sit and counter, um, you know, mid to low block. St. Louis, you know, while they play more with the ball than maybe we were expecting, isn't a high possession team. Definitely a a press and go more direct. So with uh, with a Minnesota team that doesn't want to have the ball. We'll see how that plays out. It's definitely a very different challenge, and I think it's it's one that's going to be interesting to watch. Yep, absolutely. One of the, one of the most interesting matchups going into uh, match week seven, six, whatever week it is. And I think if if a month and a half ago you had told me, you know, Minnesota without Reynoso against St. Louis is that you know one of the interesting games of the weekend. That's probably near near the bottom of the of the list, and yet here we are. Uh, six six match days in and it's you know near the top so just shows how crazy this league can be absolutely so another win on the road four nil for st louis over salt lake city uh i think we're we're just going to kind of follow some of the supporter shield uh standings to go to our next match which also just wanted to consider the fact that right now st louis top of the top of the uh league um, but next, we're going to go ahead and take a trip to the nation's capital, uh, where New England came into D.C. and pretty well pay- played them off the pitch with a really interesting core of players. Uh, this match, due to injury or international duty, had a lot of youngsters step up. Uh, this would be Noah Buck, this would be Bajrak Tarovic, uh, this is Panayoto. A lot of youth that are starting to get integrated into this system, which is a massive credit to, I think it's actually Kurt Anolfo, the former uh, LA Galaxy um, head coach who has really started to revamp some of New England's uh, academy setting. And give credit to Bruce Arena, he's given the kids an opportunity to come out and play, and he proved them well against, albeit DC United, but a DC United who I think has been playing slightly better than some of us might have thought they'd come into the season. Uh, what what did you see out of this, and, and is there anything else that you really want to note about what's making New England a uh, number two in the Supporter Shield race type team right now? So I think I think you hit it uh, with your point, and I think that's you know being international break and everything, it's difficult to take a lot from specific games, uh, but I think here's here's a pretty clear takeaway of where we are in the development of MLS and MLS academies that Bruce Arena famously, you know, known for not playing young players in in the past, starts three teenagers in midfield on the road. um, And those three teenagers are good enough to to get them a win. And I think that's, you know, beyond what else is going on with the Revs or, or, or DC, I think that's a pretty good zoom out type of takeaway that says that shows you kind of where we are. And that you know, on the other side, there was Jackson Hopkins starting, Teddy KDP starting mm-hmm. uh, for DC. So it's not like DC uh, wasn't playing some of their youth as well. So I think that's that's probably first and foremost what I take away is is that youth movement coming through. Um, and, and you know, Noah Buck, I think we at this point all uh, kind of understand that he's he's legit uh, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, seeing how New England has been heavily involved in in the transfer market over the last couple of years with with Tejon uh, and Matt Turner um, selling Adam Buxa, you know Noah Buck's gonna have a pretty good price uh, and pretty good offers coming in, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him uh, get sold to a a good team in Europe here pretty quick. Yeah, they have a couple of, of players that are going to be kind of dealing with that, also with Georgie Petrovic in goal. Uh, I was kind of pulling it up to get an idea of how they looked last season with regard to the goals that they give up per match, because um, I wanted to really highlight Dave Romney has come into this team and really 
shored up that defensive side. Uh, currently, last season, they were about 16th in goals given away per match. Or, excuse me, uh, they were 11th in goals conceded per match. Um, and that was largely coming from that pairing of Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler. I think that they're actually going to improve, which I, I did not necessarily think was going to be the case. Uh, obviously, Dave Romney had such a good center back partner in Nashville with Walker Zimmerman that I thought he kind of was flattered by that. But he's really stepped up in this season. I think we're starting to see the quality that he's bringing. Uh, and then, again, gives um, New England the opportunity to to bring those younger players in. They still have Matt Polster, who got, helps buoy that backside of the midfield. Just a really, really well-constructed roster and also constructed in a lot of very interesting ways i mean you have your academy kids that we touched on you have your draftees like brandon by and Dwan jones uh you've got intra-league trades for bobby wood and dave romney you've got uh inter-league trades for gustavo bow and georgie petrovich they've just actually hit on a lot of the little things that I think is really elevating them. And this is all before, you know, Carlos Healy even steps on the field at the 62nd minute. There's just, there's something good happening. I, I don't know if Bruce has, you know, started to see the light of some opportunities to change the way that he approaches the game, but some really, really exciting stuff. Uh, is there anything we wanted to touch on for DC out of this? I think not, not a ton to take away. I think just beaten by a, a better team, unfortunately. I think, uh, you know, looking back through five weeks, uh, less catastrophic than expected is how I would put DC. So I think, you know, you've seen some good signs from from some of the young players. Uh, Christian Benteke looks decent. Russell Knauss looks uh, better than he has recently. So I still think, uh, you know, the, uh, clearly the roster... Needs some more work. I don't. I don't think it's it's good enough to compete just yet. Um, but it's not as as bad as maybe we were we were thinking it was going to be coming in. It doesn't mean it can't you know fall apart as we get through the season here a little bit more. Uh, but so far, it's been better than expected. Yeah, absolutely. So credit to DC for making an attempt to to pull together a team. They've got some other pieces coming in now. Really largely based around having Wayne Rooney as the manager. Um, I think they're going to have something to say. I'm, I'm still with you that I do not think they're particularly close to being a playoff team, but less, less catastrophic is a good way to put it. So I think that takes us now to uh, Nashville, who FC Cincinnati came into town and were, was able to sneak away with three points. Uh, and I think... There's some interesting stuff that happened in this match. The the one thing that I really kind of wanted to note on or for Brandon Vasquez's first goal of the season is that Lucho and uh, Alvaro Barrell had a really, really good understanding of how to go ahead and combine. I think Acosta came out a little bit wider. Barrell came down uh, into the – or a little bit more centrally. And that actually pulled Walker Zimmerman out to open up a space for Brandon Vasquez to run into and just really kind of – Gave since or gave Nashville a look that they had not seen yet, and I was kind of surprised to see Zimmerman get pulled out like that, considering the quality of defender that he is, or if there was just maybe not the understanding of the rotation between him and McCarty. But they give up one goal, can't find a way to break through, and this Cincinnati team is still looking pretty resolute. What did, what did you see in this match? Yeah, for me, I think it's it's reinforcing on the Nashville side. I think there's no team in MLS right now where it's more important who gets the first goal. Uh, because Nashville is good enough defensively, de definitely, that if they can get up on our team, uh, they'll sit back, and then they're very difficult to break down. Uh, but on the other hand, they, they lack um, creativity and possession to be able to break down teams. So if they get down... Um, it's really difficult for them to come back. So it's one of those um, one of those teams where you know it's almost decisive 
who gets that first goal. And I think that's what we saw here. Uh, Nashville had the majority of the possession. They were near 60%. Um, they were constantly uh, on the ball, probing and trying to get through. Uh, but I don't remember Celentano having to make uh, a ton of a ton of saves. And on the contrary, you know, Cincinnati's not going to give anything away. Uh, we now, you know, the days of of shipping goals uh, from the first couple of years are over. And with uh, Obina Wobodo and with Miazga back there, and with a you know solid goalkeeper, uh, it's a team that you're going to have to beat. So. Once Cincinnati finds that breakthrough uh, and Nashville has to expose themselves a little bit, Joe Willis has to has to come up with two or three saves on Brenner uh, just to keep them in that game. So I think mm-hmm. it, it shows a little bit of, you know, Nashville's uh, maybe maybe weak spot there that uh, they really have to be on the front foot and they got to get that first goal. Otherwise, it gets really difficult for them. And for Cincinnati, I think it shows that uh, they've won now a couple games Games one nothing, uh, they can score ten goals, but they can grind out one nothing wins as well. Um, so I, I expect them to be in the hunt all the way through the season for for top of the East. Yeah, that's something that I don't think they even really did last season when they were very very solid. Uh, that that ability to to turn those draws into wins is something that's kind of new, and it gives a lot of hope to the Queen City. Uh, there's. There's something happening since today. I'm really excited for uh, an opportunity to see them and the Revs go up against each other because I think that that might really be one of the marquee matchups in the East this season. Uh, there's obviously so many teams that are still on the come up uh, between Orlando, between Philadelphia, but we'll see what that match could bring because I think it could get a little bit, little bit spicy. Um, I think. Next up in the Sporter Shield standing oy, is the match that's going to hurt me the most to talk about. Uh, let's take it to good old Kansas City. And Andres, tell me what you saw. Like this one, oy, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I, 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 there's good news in that... We don't have Ben Sweat ne- next game? <laughs> I, and, and I mean, good news as uh, if you're a sporting fan, yes. Um, not having Ben Sweat, having having seen him over the years, might might be a good news. No, finally you get Will Yagata on the on the score sheet, and um, I think that's that's probably your your only silver lining here for 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 this week. But it is an important one because you're you're counting on on the Will Yagata you saw at the end of of 2022 uh, with you know Shalloway and Russell healthy on the wings. Um, and finding him crashing the box, that's your hope at, at scoring a good amount of goals. So to get him going, um, that's that's what you're looking for. Uh, that's about it. On the other side, you know, Leo Chu, uh, Nico Lodero, and, and specifically Jordan Morris just absolutely tore through a, a back line and a space in between the, the midfield and the back line. Uh, that left a lot to be desired. If you're if you're a sporting fan, um, and you saw you you saw signs of what you could see from a Leo Chu that got consistent playing time, and you saw signs of what you could see from a Jordan Morris who would play at the nine. So super super performance from from both of them. Uh, all sorts of different finishes, all sorts of different through balls and crosses and chip balls. Uh, finding their way to the back post. Um, and if you're sporting, that's really concerning because they scored. I mean, yes, it was the same group of guys, but it was all different sorts of goals from different positions on the field. So uh, rough, rough if you're if you're watching as a sporting fan. And if you're a Seattle fan, to get four goals out of Moores when Rui Diaz and Eber are out, that's that's bonus. That's that's gravy. Absolutely. It's going to be kind of difficult to to drop either of those two players uh, or you know, really shift them around uh, next or this coming week. Uh, but I mean, this is still yeah, like you said, a team without Raúl Diaz, who we know is just an absolute killer in this league. And yeah, really, really, really good day for for Seattle. Um, obviously, my eyes were were pointed towards the blue side. Uh, I think there is a 
distinct lack of speed in the entirety of that sporting side, um, which makes sense when you're starting, I think, 34-year-old Roger Espinosa, 36-year-old Graham Zussi. It's just uh, a lot to ask. And then you also have Eric Tommy, who is one of those real hit signings towards the end of last season, who is... I think run the uh, Daniel Sperry with the Kansas City Star had a, a quote from Peter Vermees that he's running something like one and a half times the distance that Peter would like him to be running in a game just because he's trying to do too much. And so he's wearing himself out, having to be yanked in the 70th minute. Uh, and it just really shades the game in a poor way physically for sporting because if we aren't going to be able to number one, be healthy, or number two, get moving on the front foot, that means that you have players like Leo Chu, who is very, very fast and can find a good whipped ball in. It just gives them tired legs to run at, which is, I think, really what happened here. Uh, Really, really poor night for sporting. Congratulations to to Seattle, who are very clearly at this point back. I I think we, we could say that for sure. Am I right there? Yeah, and and unfortunately, it's been the case for for a little while here for Sporting. Um, yeah, and it's it's a roster rebuild is I guess in progress, but it's probably I don't know three or four years now uh, late in the making. Mm-hmm. So you know, twenty eighteen nineteen was probably when uh, some of this turnover needed to start happening, uh, and it just seems like we have the same questions. Regarding who's playing center back, uh, can Roger and Graham continue on? Um, we've had that for now since you know, at, at least um, that COVID year, if not the year before that, where where it was a little bit rough there, 2019. So um, it's it's been a little bit of a rough run. I think 2021 kind of masked that a little bit. Uh, I still have hopes for this team. Uh, in terms of the talent that's in the front six or so, um, that can that can cover for some of that, but it's clearly a roster that needs uh, a little bit of a makeover, especially in the back yeah. half. Absolutely, uh, and I just want to kind of point this out: Seattle is going down to the LA Galaxy. I would not be surprised to see them do a repeat performance of this because that LA Galaxy team has been in a rough spot. They have a little bit more ability to to hold the ball in the midfield than Sporting does currently, or this this iteration of Sporting does. But I am looking at Seattle right now, and I think that they are looking their chops at, at their upcoming schedule. So interesting matches to, be, to come. Seattle sitting in, I think, second in the West and fourth in the Sporter, Sporter Shield, uh, and then Sporting Kansas City sitting elsewhere. We won't worry about that. Uh, I think now we can go ahead and take a a little bit further down to the Southwest and take a look at LAFC taking a 2-1 victory over FC Dallas. And this was a a kind of strange strange match. Number one, shaded by the fact that uh, Emma Tomasi picked up a red card in the 35th minute. But LAFC scored one really, really early. Dallas was able to pull it back later on and then... It's just kind of a, a, a ugly match that LAFC finds a way to win. What, what did you see in this one, Andres? Yeah, I think for me, and we, we talked about it before, I, I think this is one of those matches that I don't think has a ton of relevance as to what either team is going forward. Uh, LAFC didn't play particularly well. Uh, and this one... But, you know, as Supporter Shield, you know, contending and winning teams do, uh, you find a way to win even when you don't play well. Um, FC Dallas also wasn't great, but wasn't terrible. And I think when you when you have to play down a man from 35 minutes on um, and you're still holding on in the 80th minute, you know, that's not a bad performance uh, regardless. Um, and, and, you know, the, the between the VAR, uh, what was it, uh, go off, um, a red card on, mm-hmm. um, then a penalty, and then the the winner is kind of a cross that gets through everybody. 
from a player that had flown 12 hours the, the day of the game to get there. It, it's just kind of one of those chaotic type games where um, you kind of shrug and say, okay, <laughs> it happened. I think both teams move on and, and keep working on what they're working on anyways. Um, and, and for LAFC, you take the points and, and you keep going. So it's one of those matches that I, I don't think has, you know, a ton of relevance going forward, but at the end of the day, it's three points uh, that's going to serve LAFC as they pursue what I think will be a, a supporter shield type run. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, on that, that goal for Denny Buanga, 0.02 expected goals. Uh, just absolutely silly for somebody to be able to fly around the world and then still be able to, you know, put something like that on frame. Just absolutely nuts. Um, I think that I do have one takeaway out of out of this match, and it's uh, further support for the fact that LAFC is absolutely a dangerous team this season. Um, in the, I think that was the week before they played the Seattle Sounders, and they actually did not necessarily try to play with the ball in that match. They kind of forced Seattle to go ahead and play a little bit more possession. They sat a little bit deeper. They found, you know, opportunities to go ahead and press uh, and then turn the ball over as highly as, or as high as possible. Uh, in this match, they win almost about 60% of the possession. Obviously, again, up man. But it just it further reiterates the fact that they have so many different clubs in their bag. They have so many different styles that they can play well that it just really lets them tailor whatever they need week to week. To, to set themselves up for a good performance or at very least a, a point-winning performance. So. Absolutely. Yeah, they could beat you uh, pressing and going direct. If, if they win the ball and the direct play isn't there, they can build. Um, if you give the back line time uh, to pick out passes, they can do that as well. So they have all sorts of different ways to beat you and they can pretty much play um, in any any type of style they have the talent to do so um and they have uh, the tactical fluidity to do so so that's why um i think that they're probably still favorites for supporter shield despite st louis going 15 for 15 um and i think that's that's why you know we, we've seen them be so successful even of course last year winning mls cup um and why it's i think difficult to, to see a real clear tactical way to get them off their game Absolutely. Uh, I think we take it from one of the most successful uh, expansion sides to one of the others. Um, let's talk about Atlanta because they did not have uh, nearly the performance that LAFC did or uh, almost any team did. They take a trip up to Columbus and then Columbus puts up a touchdown. Uh, 6-1 victory for the crew. This was a weird match, number one, because of the amount of players that were out inter for international duty. Um, I think probably the biggest uh, the biggest name is certainly Itago Amada. The biggest impact, in my mind, is Miles um, Robinson, because they had or Atlanta had uh, Noah Cobb step up to go ahead and, and slot into that position, and there's just no like for like replacement for Miles Robinson with either his physicality or his um, ability to to find a line breaking pass. Uh, and then the other thing that Atlanta did in this match that really kind of set themselves up for failure is that they actually went to a single pivot six instead of having both Sadich and Ibarra back, um, largely to the due to the fact that they did not have their true number ten in Tiago Almada uh, and. That just lets the crew kind of run through that midfield untouched, and they they just kind of knock down the doors. Uh, what what did you see out of? Let's talk about Columbus first. What do you like from them today or on let's this not, weekend? Yeah, let's not let's not shortchange it though. I mean, you're right in the the players that Atlanta was missing. The crew were missing Zella Ryan, uh, and and Cucho's out as well. So that's you know they're two DPs. That weren't that weren't available. I think you know. First of all, if you look at the score sheet and the names on there, there's Aiden Morris, there's Philip Quinton, uh, Jason Russell Rowe, Max Arfson. I mean, these are these are young guys with not a ton of MLS experience. 
that Wilfred Nancy, um, you know, is trusting to to play a major role and getting good performances out of you know Mo Farsi and Will Sands not on the score sheet but playing that wing back fullback type role uh, and doing doing it you know super uh, super competently um, and you can just see the ideas that Nancy's trying to bring in that he brought in uh, to Montreal kind of already taking taking hold you know six weeks in so. It'll be real interesting to see how dangerous this crew team can be with Azela Royan and with Acucho uh, Hernandez. Christian Ramirez gets two goals, so so he's you know back in MLS and scoring. Uh, but I, I think that's the main takeaway: is young guys getting a chance. Nancy's kind of uh, molding that team into into his vision of how they want to play. So that that for me is from the crew side. Uh, from Atlanta. Um, I, I think you touched on most of it. Miles Robinson being out hurts. Playing a single pivot, you know, hurts. Uh, but I think also not having Almada there to outlet the ball to progress mm-hmm. going forward. That's a huge, that's a huge loss because you you turn the ball and over in dangerous pieces or dangerous places, and then once you turn the ball over and you give up a couple goals, uh, the floodgates kind of open. So I think um, if you're an Atlanta fan, you hope. It's an aberration. You don't play this type of lineup again. You get Almada back in. You get Miles Robinson back in, and you you go forward because they were playing well beforehand. Uh, but this one was ugly. Yeah, really, really rough day for Atlanta fans. Um, and then absolute bliss for for Columbus. Uh, yeah, this I really love that you got to note that this is similar to what we saw in in Montreal where. Nazi was able to find those young players who could have an outsized impact. I think that that's going to serve that Columbus Academy well, uh, that I, I think has largely not been performing at the level of, of some other academies across the league. Um, seeing some of that step forward, seeing that, that integration throughout the teams, really, really exciting stuff. And I think it's all it shows all the things that we were excited for, Nazi coming to a, a team that also has that that high level uh investment as well so uh big win for for columbus uh we'll see what it means for atlanta going forward i don't have a ton that i think i can necessarily take away from that atlanta team other than they they probably need to start looking at finding a way to to age out brad guzan sometime soon because he's been doing it for a long time and it's starting to He's starting to show the wear and tear, but uh, I think now we'll take it to the great North and and talk about that Minnesota team that we touched on going up against St. Louis this coming weekend. Uh, again, you're right. I would never have expected Minnesota to be unbeaten without Reynoso. And here they are largely doing it by changing the entirety, entire way that they play. Uh, this, I think some of the stats about Reynoso's um, touches in the final third, the percentage of touches across the entire team in the final third, or uh, for Minnesotian in the final third, he was over like 30% of them. And so really, they've had to revamp the entire way that they attack. And what that's ended up being is sitting back, spending almost no time in the opposing final third, uh, this is uh, one of Matt Doyle released a column. Um, Minnesota is 29th in field tilt. So they're just not spending much time on the ball in the attack. They sit back, they let you mess up, and then they go forward on the break. And it worked to a certain degree in this match against Vancouver. I did not get to see this one. Did you see much out of this? No, I, I I didn't see I didn't see the match only only the highlights and, and the rap and, and reading some of the the information after the fact. Um, but my question with Minnesota is okay, they very clearly have changed the way that they're going to go about playing. They're very clearly going to sit back. Uh, they're going to counter. They're going to play for set pieces, um, and then they're going to sit in a low in a low block. That works to a certain extent, but at some point you need other tools in your toolbox. So far, they've played FC Dallas uh, on opening day, Red Bull 
Colorado and Vancouver. Now, St. Louis, Chicago, Orlando, Seattle, Dallas coming up. Does that style work long term? Because uh, for me, and and I know it's it's going to be difficult to find somebody of Reynoso's caliber to to play that role. But you have to be able to play uh, with the ball at some point. And if you're not going to play with the ball, you have to be able to at least press um, and turn t- turn teams over from time to time higher up the pitch. You can't just sit, you know, deeper in your own uh, in your own half for 34 games and be consistently successful. So how do they find that second tool? How do they find that, uh, that different way to play? That's going to be the interesting one going forward. But for now, I think Adrian Heath, you know, you grind out results any way you can and you be pragmatic uh, until you find a different way to do it. So I applaud them for, for being able to do it so far. I just wonder how how sustainable it is going forward. That just mm-hmm. that that clear sitting style. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do want to go ahead and give credit to one of their signings. I, I think it's Miguel Tapias. Um, he's been very very legit. Uh, Minnesota has not given up a lot of goals generally. Uh, thus, the reason that they're you know unbeaten. Uh, and really, I think that that just comes down to they've they've found small ways to get better performances out of their defenders out of you know Will Trapp and whoever's sitting next to him in that double pivot that's you know going to bode well for them um then Vancouver is an interesting one i still want more out of this team uh and i think that really that specifically comes down to the fact that they have in my mind one of the better goalkeepers in the league in Takaoka. They have some of the the more impactful game to game player or designated players in um Andres Kubas and in Shuff, uh who I think is actually a TAM player once I think about it. Um I want more out of this team though, and I think that they just need to find that that spark that Brian White had for a while, uh, or they need Cordova to to come good. It's a team that I just I want more out of, and I'm frustrated that we're not quite getting it yet. Uh, I think that it could come, but you know, looking at the the matches they have coming up, they've got Montreal. They should find a way to get through that, and then they've got LAFC in the Champions League, and you know, it's just going to be. A tough stretch. They need to find some ways to really start converting the chances that they're creating, and we'll see if they can find a way to do that. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned with Vancouver, um, mm. and and it's one of one of the reasons is they're still in the Champions League, and we know what what that can do to teams trying to balance Champions League and regular season, and how much that hurts them. You know, even even a month or two after the fact. Uh, after the Champions League is over, teams struggle to come to come back from it. But the other side is uh, Cavallini's gone. Cordova's the replacement. Um, he's hurt. He's hurt already. He's hurt for six to eight weeks. Um, even healthy, I I wasn't a huge fan of his game in in Salt Lake. Uh, Brian White had a magical, you know, eighteen game run in twenty one. But we haven't seen it since. Right now, Simon Beck is, I'm not sure if it's Betcher or Becker, um, has come in and scored in like 20 minutes of, of playing time. Uh, he scored twice already in league play. You know, we'll, we'll probably see more of him. But is that something that's going to be sustainable? So, you know, then you're looking for goals out of Ryan Gold and you're looking for goals out of Vite. Um, and you're looking for goals out of set pieces. You know, I'm a little bit concerned about how that plays out over the next couple of months. Um, mm. And last year, they got off to such a rough start that even though they came good the second half uh, of the year, they were they were pretty far away from a playoff spot, and they just they just barely missed out. And if had they started a little bit better, they would have been pretty pretty solidly in. So. That's kind of where I'm at with Vancouver. I'm super interested in a lot of the pieces that they have, 
but it's that where the goals come from and that Champions League that's got me concerned. I'm I'm kind of interested in your perspective. Who do you think the responsibility for that that chance creation really falls on? Do you think it's it's truly going to be a Vanny Sartini find a way to actually change the structure of the team, or is it that you're asking Ryan Gold to just play better? I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? So from from what I've seen, Vancouver basically restructured their formation coming into the season. So changing from a back four to a back five um, and then back to a back four. Uh, let's, let's go back here a little bit. So if we go to the beginning of the season, and, and look at the, and I'm doing this on the fly. So they're in that back four, whereas at one point they were in a back three. So Vanny Sartini is clearly having to tinker a little bit uh, coming out of preseason with how he wants to play. But at the same time, uh, you've got a, the Scottish Messi, as he's been called. Um, Ryan Gold on the team, you're expecting him to overcome some of that tactical uh, fluidity. You also got a Julian Gressel, one of the best crossers in the game, uh, but he's got to have somebody to put crosses into. Um, so I think the responsibility is shared. Be one finding an identity and a tactical way that you want to play consistently, but also having uh, Ryan Gold, Pedro Vite, Julian Gressel uh, create chances, but also having somebody up top um, who's on the end of those chances. Interesting stuff for sure to come out of uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how can Vanny Sartini find find the, way, the ways to get these players in the right positions. Because I, I I think I I just think that he's playing a little bit too conservatively, which I think is very out of character for for Vanny Sartini himself. But uh, it'll just be an interesting thing to keep track of going into the, or into later parts of the season. Um. I think finally for, for a deep dive, we'll, we'll swing it down to Florida and, uh, or actually, excuse me, swing it up to Pennsylvania. Um, and Orlando City, I think this is not necessarily a shocking uh, result, but Orlando City goes on the road and wins 2-1 at Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia, obviously, in multiple competitions, trying to, to put up a fight in CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, Orlando coming off of kind of a heartbreaking uh, end to their Champions League run against Tigris. They find a way to go ahead and go up. This is a pretty full team. And Oscar Perea has got them really playing for each other. Uh, I think even as Final Whistle blew, you, uh, you saw uh, Rodrigo Schlegel you know, sliding into a ch uh, ch challenge. This team has a lot of fight in them, and now they're starting to find the goals as well. Uh, what did you see out of this match, and, and what do you what do you like about Orlando coming out of this? Yeah, so for me, number one takeaway was uh, the front four from, from Orlando uh, were super uh, fluid in the way that they got in behind the Philly defense um, and and could get numbers forward and play together. Um, and that, that I think you saw it on both of the opening goals uh, right, at, right at the beginning. Uh, Ojeda, uh, Enrique, and Angulo uh, playing in front of Mauricio Pereira, who was really, really good in this game, uh, were, were, you know, able to get at that back line and, and play play between themselves and, and you saw them, you know, attack Joe Bednick's goal over and over again. So I think for me, that was, you know, the number one takeaway. Philly had a couple of defensive errors for sure. Uh, and Orlando was good enough to take, a, you know, to take advantage of them. So that for me is, is top of, of my takeaways. The other one is you mentioned Schlegel, you know, putting in hard challenges. Orlando's got two of the, I think, villains of MLS in Schlegel and, and Felipe. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that that's a team that, you know, even even Antonio Carlos is pretty, you know, spicy at times getting in, in a position's faces. So you've got, 
you've got the fluidity um, and the footwork up front, and then you've got you know the hard challenges um, and the the uh, how how can I say it without when the the the, 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 the more darker the darker things. arts or the the <laughs> on, on the back line and in the middle. So it's it's you know it's not as pretty yet, uh, but it's it's definitely uh, for uh, formidable from from both ends from Orlando. Uh, really good performance overall, I thought. Uh, probably the best they've looked uh, all seasons to go to. You know, Philly's missing some guys for sure, but to go to to Philly and win hasn't been done in a year and a half, so uh, can't take much away. Yeah, that and to your point, that like workroom of Felipe and Cesar Araujo, uh, that is a tough midfield to break through. And and both those players are going to challenge you physically the entire way, the entire match. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I think this is a win that you, you look at Orlando and you say, all right, you're putting Champions League behind you. You're going to go ahead and press forward. Um, looking to, to the Philly side, you're 100% right that there's just a lot of talent that is not in this team at the moment for primarily international duty. Uh, even when you look to the bench, they only had five players on the bench for this match. Um, so is there much to take away? I, I don't necessarily think so outside of the fact that there are starting to be some holes poked in that back line. Uh, and I think that probably just comes, comes down to minutes played especially early on in the season. Um, uh, but I will also give them this, and this is coming at a really, really good time for uh, you know somebody who's a fan of the team that is going to Philly next weekend. Uh, it sounds like Andre Blake might be back next week, which could really help lift them back up because he is an absolute game changer. Um, so we'll we'll see if that pulls through or if they're going to go ahead and give him a little bit of time to get 100% healthy. Uh, if the Philly front office is listening, please do that one. That would be great. Thank you so much. Uh, that kind of, I think, hits it for the, the main games that we wanted to dig into. So that leaves us with a handful of, of gimmies. Andres, what else did you see across the league that you found interesting? So... Chicago Fire went to Miami, uh, 1-3-2. Uh, Kaya Kamara, the stoppage time winner. That's the 10th team he scored for. Um, Miami not looking so good without Gregory. Uh, really tough for them in transition. Uh, and, and Chicago Fire able to take advantage of it. Brian Gutierrez uh, was really, really good in this game. We'll see how... Uh, Ezra Hendrickson um, handles, you know, Sheridan Shakiri and, and Gutierrez together. But I think for a long time observer of the league, Kai getting another goal for another team and a winner. Uh, that's that's always fun and interesting. So that's one that, that, that I noted. Yeah, absolutely love Kai. Like, dude's just he's happiness in soccer and and just. And, uh, the epitome of loving this sport. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested. So, Jaron Shakiri has obviously played plenty of time on the wing at you know Lyon, at Liverpool, at Bayern Munich. Do you think that there's any chance that Ezra can can look at Jaron Shakiri and say, "You're going to the outside"? Brian Gutierrez has been playing for us. Do you think that that how how do you uh, number one pitch that to the player, and number two, how do you pitch that to an owner? Uh, and tell them, hey, remember that player that you spent, I think, upwards of twenty million on? It's going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, and but I think I think if the conversation is we're going to have some positional fluidity where you can float outside and Gutierrez can come inside and vice versa, I think that's a more feasible and easier conversation than if the conversation is. We're gonna keep Shakiri on the bench and play mm-hmm. Brian Gutierrez over him. So it, it really depends on how they want to. I know on the game broadcast they were adamant that Shakiri is is the Fire's number ten, and they were gonna you know play that way. But I think if you're Chicago, it, it also it benefits you to have 
uh, a 19 year old running the show uh, in that position. Um, you know, you that's putting somebody on the on the shop, you know, shop window the same way that you had with with Gaga and with John Duran. So I think that's going back to it. This is, you know, the the next cover of Georgie Mihailovic's spot in Chicago. There you go. There, there you like, go. And, and and unfortunately, I think Chicago didn't maximize the the Georgie situation, and and Montreal was the beneficiary. So I think if you're Chicago, you don't want to cut the wings out from from Brian Gutierrez here because he's playing really well. So figuring out a way for them both to play, um, and whether it's it's you know one plays on the wing for 15 20 minutes and the other one's in between or they both have uh the ability to move inside and out uh but you got to figure out a way for them both to play together and to have that not really pull apart the defensive shape when the ball gets turned over too because you know that i think brian gutierrez will do some defensive work shakiri's not going to know if shakiri's going to do that right so it's it's going to be an interesting balance that Ezra is going to have to to find between those players. Uh, do you mind if I go ahead and throw it over to a different match? Uh, Hector Herrera actually looks like a brand new player in this league this season. Uh, just significantly more impactful, and that has been a massive boon for Houston this season. They've been playing pretty well. And not in a way, you know, I'm going to have to put a dollar in the jar, but they are not playing Benny Ball. You know, this is an, a team that is actually trying to come out and, and play a little bit of soccer. Uh, and some of their signings have hit pretty well, too. I think specifically Bossy. I think Arthur frees Hector Herrera up to actually take a little bit more command of the field. There's there's something going on in Houston. What what did you what do you think about this this team build up after we've gone through a few weeks? So we saw we said DC less catastrophic than expected. Houston much better than expected. Um, and I think Hector Herrera is is the key there. I think that's that's a good point that you make. Um, he made them significantly worse. He made a bad team worse at the end of last year. Um, and he's been one of the best midfielders in the league so far this year. So that shows, you know, what a difference a player of that caliber. Uh, you put him in the middle of the park and you have him locked in and covering ground and spraying balls. And that makes a huge difference. And they did this one without Coco Karaskia, um, who I think most of us think has the highest upside on that team. Um, and they're progressing with the ball and they're playing more with the ball, like you mentioned. So, you know, another one of those teams that I I wonder and worry if there's enough on the roster to sustain it. But definitely a pleasant surprise, not only in results, but in how they've been uh, going about getting those results so far. The, the big question for them is how can they go ahead and find goals? And I think that at some point, it's going to require them really, you know, reinvigorating Ferreira and, and starting to find some of that, that connection, find that service. Cause I think I'd have to pull up the exact, I think he scored maybe 10 goals last season. Uh, he should be their primary goal threat. And I don't think they necessarily have anybody who I would say is a primary goal threat at this point in the season, but. And it's not a good sign again, when, when you're DP number nine, who you signed to be your goal scorers on the bench consistently. Yeah. So obviously still some, some stuff to figure out for Houston, but I think I'm right there with you. I think that I might've been a little bit too harsh on Ben Olsen. Uh, I'm going to, if they make the playoffs, then I'll go ahead and issue an apology. But until such time, uh, is there any other matches you wanted to touch on before we close it out? Yeah, we can we we can close real quick with you know a Kevin Cabral equalizer uh, for the Rapids uh, with a really really nice uh, triple move to turn Nick Lima around um, on that equalizer. Mikey Barrios leaves Alex Ring out to dry. I mean, just really that, that's an unfortunate effort from Alex Ring on on that one. Um, and Colorado was the better team 
for the majority of that match. So, so on one end, you know, I think we all kind of root for players to find to find their way, um, and I'm certainly rooting for for Kevin Cabral to put away, you know, put some of those bad misses behind him, and and find the net a little more often. In part because I, I think it's 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 always fun to see a player kind of be redeemed, but it also Colorado needs all the help they can get right now. Um, mm. And from Austin's standpoint, those those defensive you know concerns continue you know continue to worry. Where you know what are they going to do with that center defense? Um, how are they going to get productivity out of the wings? There's more questions from Austin at this point. Uh, than I think even most of us thought. Um, we're seeing more of the Austin that I think we expected to see at the end of last year uh, than what we expected this year. Yep, we all expected regression, and absolutely nobody said that Austin was going to be a Supporter Shield winner. <laughs> Certainly could not have been the case. No, I, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, so first to start with Colorado, yeah, they they really kind of, battered Austin for the better part of this match. Um, and I think that I really want to note the midfield balance uh, with, the, with the loss of Jack Price uh, for, I believe, if not the entire season, the vast majority of it. Um, yeah, I'm Acosta pretty sure it's an, Achilles, and, it's an Achilles, right? So that's yeah, eight or ten That's months. going to be the full season. So uh, Brian Acosta and Connor Ronan have a really, really nice balance between them. I think Acosta is a little bit more adventurous. Ronan has a little bit more uh, positional awareness to go ahead and determine when they can go, but they've they've developed that pretty well very quickly. Um, and yeah, I, I you know I, I'm very much here for Kevin Cabral's season. Uh, I think the dude gets into so many good attacking positions. Just needs that that last you know a foot to the left, and next thing you know, he's scoring eight goals a season. Like, it's just so, so close for him. I'm really, really happy he kind of opened his account this this weekend. Uh, and then Austin, it's weird. It's a very, very weird situation where, you're right, I think that their defensive issues are probably the bigger problem, um, but it also probably doesn't speak super well that a team with, uh, Driussi, Zardes, uh, um, a DP winger in Rigoni, uh, and John Gallagher is their golden boot leader at the moment. They've got to start getting some better play. I think really specifically from Zardes and Rigoni, Driussi is just carrying, to, to steal the allocation disorder uh, phrase, he's really carrying the piano, and, and I just don't think that he can do that for an entire season again. Uh, so interesting stuff for sure going on in Austin. We will see if they can find a way to turn it around. Um, but I think that gives us a pretty good wrap on, on the past week that was a couple matches in there that we didn't touch on, but, uh, I don't think that they were of, of major note. Let's take a look and put an eye to the future though. Uh, what is the, the match that you're really looking forward to, to see what, could actually happen this weekend. At this point, we started the pod with St. Louis. We talked about the tactical uh, matchup there. Um, and I think at this point, you have to be keeping an eye on and they make it six in a row and they get to 18 uh, points out of 18 um, and keep it going. I think the record is seven matches unbeaten to, or, or undefeated to start a season um, in the last like 12 seasons. So we're we're bordering on pretty historic um, levels here. So that's probably where I'm going uh, first of all. Um, if I had to go for for a second match, hmm. you know, I think New England New York City is a potential playoff type matchup. I you know we've mm-hmm. talked about New England being top of the East right now. New York City um, coming off of a a pretty bad loss to Houston trying to trying to bounce back. That could be an, a, an interesting game as well. So that, that's probably where I'm most looking forward to. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, New England, uh, New York City was the one that I really wanted to note because I think this is going to be this is going to be New England's chance to actually 
put their stamp and say, all right, we are an absolute contender this season. They've had some wins. I don't think that I've been super convinced by any of them. Um, but if they can handle New York City, who is finding their feet at this point, bring them into Gillette Stadium and, and get a couple goals past them, I think that they will have, have recaptured some of that, what, whatever that season was, 2020 New England Revolution. Um, the other match that I just kind of want to keep an eye on is Orlando-Nashville. Uh, and really, I'm, I'm more interested to see how Nashville bounces back after a loss at home. Uh, Orla- or, uh, Explorio Stadium is a tough place to play because the fans are always rocking. It's Florida, so it's never exactly the you know kindest weather to anybody. I'm really interested to see if Nashville can make some of their pieces click going forward. Um, I think the the marquee matchup is certainly going to be, you know, Martin Ojeda and Mauricio Pereira versus Walker Zimmerman and Jack Marr. But I'm really interested to see what can Jacob Schaffelberg do? Can he find an opportunity to burn Jansen and Schlegel or Jansen and Carlos? W- what does that look like for Hani Mukhtar? There's some interesting stuff going on there. So I think that those are the two matches that I'm really keeping my eye on. Um, but as ever, there is just so much soccer to watch. Uh, for too long, we'll have Open Cup back up and bringing in the Major League Soccer teams. We've got CONCACAF Champions League. We've got CONCACAF Nations League. It just never stops, Andres. We've got, a, what, it's not next week already, midweek, we, we jump right into Champions League quarterfinals, you know, first legs. So we might see some rotation for, for, you know, Philadelphia. We might see some rotation out of LAFC. Who knows? Um, those teams will, will be pretty busy here for the next two weeks again. Yeah. So much to keep an eye on, so much soccer to watch. But as ever, we will do our best to watch as much of it as possible and give you at least what we think is interesting and fun. So until then... Enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we'll catch you next time on Major League Soccer Benched.